0: Get on in there, see what all the excitement is about. It's going to be so much fun.
1: I believe that the opposite of depression, it's not happiness, it's purpose. I believe that every single person has something unique to contribute to the world. And that's why I wanted to create a show called Don't Keep Your Day Job. Don't Keep Your Day Job is about
0: Thanks to Organifi for supporting Don't Keep Your Day Job. Organifi is a line of organic superfood blends that offer plant-based nutrition that tastes great. To get 15% off any product go to Organifi.com slash dreamjob and use promo code dreamjob. Hey guys, it's Kathy Heller. Welcome back to another episode of Don't Keep Your Day Job. So I've been really sitting with what do I want to bring into 2021? And what keeps coming up is space. Like really setting sacred boundaries and saying no to things. Because every time you say yes to something, you're actually saying no to something else. And I feel like for me, I saw this beautiful post on Instagram the other day. It said, I cultivate sacred rest to ask my heart what could fall away so that I may create space for the infinite. And I really think that there is such a potency in having downtime Having space to really just drop in and be available for the divine download, you know, for what you're really here to do, you know, for what the moments are really about. And I feel like when we, we get still and we rest, we actually give ourselves a chance to enjoy the life that we've created. I think we live in a culture that's always like, what's next? What's next? What's next? And, um, I know for me, so many of the things that I've created in my life that I actually am so proud of, even that came from stepping away, you know, like made to do this, which I'm so proud of came when I went away last year to onsite and I had a week off and I came back and I was like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to make this program called made to do this. And so I think it's really important for me to have the space to stop, to take a walk, to be with my kids, to read a book, to drink a cup of coffee without multitasking. I'm curious what you want more of in this new year. And um, if you want more of doing what lights you up, stay tuned because I'm going to be doing a five-day free workshop. It's the It's Your Turn Challenge because it is your turn. It's your turn to claim your divine assignment and to step up and be amongst all the other beings that are radiating their light. And so stay tuned because I'll have more details. If you want um, to ask me any questions about it, you can always DM me on Instagram or you can email me, but I'm really active in my Instagram. So come on over there if you're not there yet. Anyway, since it's the last week of 2020, I thought that it would be nice to celebrate some of the highlights of my favorite moments from the podcast throughout this past year. You're going to hear amazing guests like Matthew McConaughey, Seth Godin, Amy Purdy, Jim Quick, Patrice Washington, Malcolm Gladwell, the Property Brothers, Jason Mraz, and a few special others. There were just so many incredible moments that we had that I needed to break this up into two episodes. So part two will be coming out on Thursday. If you haven't heard all of these full interviews with these particular guests, you might wanna go back and look through our catalog and listen because they're really jam packed with so much value. All right, this first clip is from none other than the Oscar award-winning actor and best-selling author, Matthew McConaughey. I still can't believe that I sat with him for an hour and a half on Zoom But uh, that was amazing. He shared a lot of meaningful memories that have really impacted him throughout his life. And this is one of my favorites. Here's how he came up with the iconic line that has pretty much followed him throughout his career. Take a listen.
2: So I go to the top of the height with my girlfriend this one Thursday night. And the reason I go to the height is the bartender there is in my film class and he'll give me free drinks. He brings me over a Vicentonic. He goes, hey, there's a guy at the end of the bar. He's in town producing a film. Let me introduce you. Introduce him. His name is Don Phillips. Four hours later, Don Phillips and I have had quite a few Vicentonics and are getting <laughs> kicked out because we're loud and obnoxious. I'm taking a cab home to my house. Don's with me. He's going to drop me off. We're talking. get along great. On the ride home, he says, like, you ever done any acting? And I said, yeah, you know, <laughs> I was in commercial. And I was in the background of a middle light commercial for that, that, that long. He's like, well... There's this uh, script called Days Confused, a movie I'm in town producing. Uh, you might be right for this small part. Come to this address tomorrow morning, pick it up. I'll have, a, I'll have the scenes written for you. Well, I go down the next morning, I pick up the script. There's a handwritten note from Don and these three scenes marked. Well, I go home and work on these three scenes for two weeks. I come back and I read and I get the part. So I've got the part and I'm scheduled to work in three scenes. Well, you have to do what's called a makeup and wardrobe test on a set. The movie's already shooting, and what it means is you go to the set while they're already shooting another scene. You go through makeup and wardrobe. You come out, the director looks you up and down. Oh, I like this, change this, da-da-da-da-da. But I was not scheduled to work this night that I'd do the makeup and wardrobe test, and we're shooting at the top-notch drive through to Burger uh, stand, and it's, it's a scene in the movie. I walk out on the street, Richard Linklater takes a break in the middle of shooting, comes over, looks me up and down, laughs. Oh, this is Wooderson. this is great. Da-da-da-da-da. And all of a sudden, he Starts kind of tickling his chin. and He goes, say, you know, I figure Wooderson's the type of guy who's been with the typical, typical hot chicks, you know, the cheerleaders and such. You, th- you think Wooderson would be interested in the redheaded intellectual? I'm like, oh, yeah, man. Wooderson likes all kind of girls. He goes, well, Marissa Rabisi's playing the role of Cynthia, the redheaded intellectual, and she's over here in the car with her nerdy friends, maybe, I don't know, you think Wooderson might, you know, pull up and try and pick her up? I'm like, give me 30 minutes. I take a walk with myself. And I start going, who's my man? Who's Wooderson? Because there's nothing written here. And I've been invited to improvise this scene. Next thing I know, I'm in the car with the lavalier mic and about to shoot my first scene in a movie I've ever shot. And there's not a word of dialogue written. So I'm going over in my head, who's my man? Who's Wooderson? What is Wooderson about? And in my head, I say, Wooderson is about my car. Yes, I'm in the 70, my 70 Chevelle. I got that, (laughs) there's one. And I said, Wooderson's about getting high. Oh, oh, Slater's riding shotgun. He's always got a nice doobie rolled up. <laughs> then I go, Wooderson's about rock and roll. I said, oh, I got Ted Nugent Stranglehold in the eight track rocking right now. I got three and all of a sudden I hear action. And as I hear action in my mind, I look up and I go, and there's Cynthia, the redhead intellectual that I'm going to go pick up. And the fourth thing Wooderson's about is picking up chicks put it in drive, said my mind, I got three out of four going to get the fourth. All right, all right, all right. (laughs) Those were the three affirmations for the three things that my character did have on the way to go get his fourth. And the very first words I ever said on film.
0: It's so good. Okay, this next clip is from my good friend, Amy Purdy. She is just simply one of the greatest treasures on this earth. She is a Paralympic gold medalist, a best-selling author, and one of the most incredible people I've ever met. She is truly a beacon of light, and I know that this year has been hard. We're all going through so much. And Amy is truly extraordinary how she has emerged through the darkness and been such a lighthouse for so many others. Here's what she said about turning a situation that seems so challenging and so hard into a world of possibility. Where did you start to understand, like, okay, I'm going to get resourceful. I'm going to open my eyes, see what's possible. And then me, this one human is going to be able to single-handedly make a difference (laughs) for thousands of other people. Oh, and
3: then win it. Where does that come from? The, I'm going to be able to see that. You know, it, it really just organically unfolded, believe it or not. It was really just taking things day by day because, I snowboarded and I knew I loved snowboarding. I really loved it. I was passionate about it. And I thought, this is something that I want to do for the rest of my life. Not necessarily as a career, but just, I knew it would be a part of my life. It was a lifestyle for me. So I had enough passion for that, that when I was sitting in the hospital and found out that I was losing both of my legs, my first question was, can I snowboard again? When can I snowboard again? And the doctors would say, we have no idea. Like, we don't know if you can snowboard or even walk uh, without a cane on two prosthetic legs. We don't really know what to tell you. But, you know, and then I, at one point I started calling all these adaptive ski schools and they said, well, you should you should not wear your prosthetics. Just take your legs off and sit in a monoski. And I remember just thinking, I want to use my legs. Like, I want to figure this out. So maybe maybe the reason nobody can tell me anything positive about this is nobody's done it. But maybe nobody's done it is because they're being told that they can't do it. And so maybe I need to just get out there and try. And so that's what I did. I mean, I I then just took literally baby steps. Like it took months for me to get comfortable walking in my prosthetics. And then I thought, I'm going to get on my snowboard. I had never missed a season of snowboarding before and I wasn't about to. So it was about seven months after losing my legs, I stood up on my snowboard in my prosthetics for the first time. And I realized how complicated it was. I fell, my legs came off, my snowboard came off, like my legs came off with my snowboard you know, flew down the mountain. And looking back, I think that was actually the beginning of my Olympic journey, which is so crazy because you can easily sit there and say, well, this is impossible. And I did. Part of me did say, well, this is impossible. This is why you don't see double leg amputee snowboarders every day on the mountain, because this is really hard and my feet don't move the right way and my legs don't even stay onto my body. And how the heck am I going to do this? And I'll tell you at this time, I didn't have this vision of becoming an Olympic snowboarder. I didn't have this vision of, you know, how far I would necessarily go with it. I just knew that I loved it and I knew that I wanted to figure it out for myself. And so I went on this mission trying to do that. I was working on different legs. I actually put different pieces together to create a pair of feet that I could snowboard in. And once I was able to snowboard in those feet, and keep my legs attached to my body. Uh, That's around the time that I met my husband and we were dating and he had this kind of philanthropic background uh, where his mom works with different nonprofits and she really inspired us to start a nonprofit organization to help other people with disabilities learn to snowboard. And then through that, we got into the Paralympics. And then I think, you know, and going on to win Olympic medals and stuff, I feel like when I look back at it, I've always been drawn to finding a way, just finding a way, you know, and if it doesn't exist, create it. And I know that sounds like, you know, that's, that's harder (laughs) to do than what I just said, but I know that that's been my drive. Like, I, I think I actually motivated by challenge because every time I'm presented with one, I'm on a mission to figure it out. And I've always been on a mission to live my best life. And When I lost my legs in the first place, I remember the doctor saying, you're more likely to be hit by lightning than to get meningococcal meningitis and survive. And so that did something to me where I thought, well, then anything's possible. So you're saying anything's possible in a bad way, and anything's possible then in a good way. Like there are no barriers, anything can happen. And I also feel like, because I was so close to death, I was so grateful to be alive and it, and it gave me a different perspective. How do I want to live the rest of my life and realizing how short of a time we have here. And I have a kidney transplant and I'll tell you that gave me a sense and a quality of the way it wanted to live my life, even more than losing my legs because with a kidney transplant at the time that I had it, the average kidney transplant was only nine years So they were like, this is just a Band-Aid. You may have multiple transplants throughout your life. And my dad donated his kidney to me. And I've been so blessed that I've been so healthy. And I'm now at year 20. And it's such a blessing to me that every single day that I'm healthy, I want to use it. I don't want to waste it by feeling sorry for myself. You know, I want to use it. And so... These are very unique experiences that I've had that gave me a perspective that I wanted to live my best life, see what the possibilities are, and do everything I can do while I'm here.
0: Oh my God. It's just so inspiring. Another incredible guest we had this year is Jim Quick, the founder of Quick Learning and host of the Quick Brain Podcast. This was hands down one of the most epic episodes we've ever done. I was taking notes the entire time. I want you to listen to a lesson he realized when he met his idol, Stan Lee. Here we go.
4: The through line with all our podcast guests and peers would be that if I could install an idea into a child, it would be that you are 100% responsible for your life. Mm. You are 100% responsible for your life. Yeah. We, so it might have shaped you, your experiences, your environment, other people's expectations, but you, you have to own your life right now moving forward. And part of that is like owning our mistakes, you know, on not blaming other people or not making excuses. So many people now, they want to go to complain or they have this entitlement or they make excuses. And we know excuses is a complete waste of energy. You cannot be upset by the results you're not getting from the work you're not doing. And I'll, I tell a lot of stories um, and I mention a lot of famous people because they're memory triggers. Next time you see Jim Carrey or yeah. Will Smith, who did the cover quote for our book, um, it reminds you of the story, right? Years back, I got to introduce two of my modern day superheroes together. And uh, it was Richard Branson and Stanley. They wanted to meet each other. So we go out to dinner and in the car, I asked Stan, saying, who's your favorite superhero? I need to know. You know, you've created X-Men and Avengers and all the... He's like, Iron Man. And he's like, Jim, who's your favorite superhero? And I posted this pic on Instagram because he had this big, in the car, Spider-Man tie. I said, Spider-Man. And he, without a pause in his iconic voice, he goes, with great power comes great responsibility, right? And we've all heard that. If you have great power, you have great responsibility to yeah. utilize it, right? <laughs> like, for example, for for Limitless... Uh, we, we donate 100% of the proceeds of the book to charity, to women's Alzheimer's research in memory of my, my grandmother. And also, it's interesting, side note on the brain, uh, women are twice as likely to experience Alzheimer's than men. And yet they're treated because most of the research is done on male brains and most of the treatments done on male uh read-based research. And so we raised over fifty thousand dollars to uh pencils of promise. We built schools everywhere from Guatemala to Kenya. This one happened to be in Ghana. Not only build the schools, teachers, clean water, healthcare, because then we were very passionate about education. And so with great power comes great responsibility. We learn to earn to return. And that's always been my motto. Well, with Stan, It's interesting. With great power comes great responsibility. He says that, and I have these this trauma and this brain injury, and I switch things sometimes. Even when I read, and I heard something different. I was like, "You're right, Sam. With great power comes great responsibility, and the opposite is also true. With great responsibility comes great power. When we take responsibility for something, you know, no matter what it is, it's not not a big thing We take responsibility for something. We have great power to make things better. You know, even in my office here, I have a picture of Stan all the way on top here overlooking the fireplace and just he gave me this gift. It's like a candy version of Stan. And he's he was the youngest old person that I knew, right? So playful. And I really do that. People say that they stopped playing because they grew older and matured. I was like, no, you grew older because you stopped playing. And I think playfulness is so important for an entrepreneur also, for a parent and also definitely as a lifelong learner. But I would say, Everybody take responsibility for your own life. That even if you make a mistake, make them old, right? The O is own it, right? Take responsibility, don't blame. The L, learn from it, right? Because that's what mistakes are therefore, for, the stepping stones. And the D, don't repeat it. Because if you're doing it more than once, then it's not a mistake, then it's a choice. And so make sure you learn from it and you're not repeating it. But number one though, own it, take responsibility.
0: Right? He's truly such a gem. And he also says in that episode, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. I just love Jim. All right. Now here's another clip from a friend of mine, Christy Wright. She hosts the Christy Wright show on Dave Ramsey's network. And she came into our Arrive membership community to do a guest session. So many great nuggets in here. And one of the most important pieces of advice she ever gave us
5: So often the impressive things in life start as unimpressive things. They don't start impressive. They start as a Google search. Are there any salons in my area? What do you need to be a fitness coach? How to take my love of goat milk soap to my local craft fair? I mean, it literally starts as a Google search. It starts as a conversation between friends. It starts as a Facebook post. It starts as a blog. Um, So I think that one of my favorite things to do is I love to just reduce the overwhelm. Take the intimidation factor out of all of it. If you've never done something before, you don't have a background in business, you've never been, then it feels so big and scary only because it's unknown. That's the reason it feels big and scary. Most people running successful businesses don't have Harvard MBAs. They're just scrappy as hell. They just are willing to try some stuff. And so if you start to realize that what it takes to start a business is very simple very unimpressive. It's a lot of, okay, what am I really good at? I'm really good at this thing, teaching canoeing, whatever the thing, build canoes. I'm good at this thing. Maybe I'll just do some research to see if there's something like this in my area. Maybe I'll just do some research, see what do people charge for this? Maybe I'll put a post on Facebook, say, hey guys, I've been making ornaments for my family and friends for years. Here's some pictures of them. Would anybody want to buy these if I started a side business making ornaments? Is this the kind of thing you'd want? And you start to get very organic, natural feedback from the market of how people perceive things. And what's so cool is though, when you take this idea in your head that you've been like, it's been keeping you up at night and you put it out there, out there can be anything means saying it to a friend over coffee, putting it on Facebook, the ground begins to move beneath you and people come around you and they align themselves with you and your goal, and they say, hey, I know someone that loves ornaments. Hey, I think these would be great in the local cafe. Hey, I actually know someone that can help you get your website set up. Have you got an Etsy shop? Because I've got a great graphic designer that could do some logos for you. People start raising their hand and aligning with you, and and it fuels your momentum, and you're like, oh my God, one step after another. You look up one day, and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm running a business teaching canoeing or I'm running a business, making ornaments or whatever the thing is, I can't believe I'm doing it, but it didn't happen because you took this terrifying leap off a cliff when you were some version of ready. It was because you started with the Google search and you're like, all right, well maybe I'll just like ask and maybe I'll, so what I love to help people do is just take one step. So, so maybe the idea of launching a business is terrifying. Just post one blog. Just get one customer. Just it. let's say you do hair, say, just offer to do hair for someone for an upcoming event. Just one tiny baby step, that low hanging fruit, that quick win. What it does is it not only validates your idea in a tiny way it gets income into the business to begin to fund the business but it does a world of difference for your confidence and then you get the second customer with income with validation with confidence and then more and more and more and you look up one day and you're doing it but it wasn't because you all of a sudden appeared out of thin air with an instagram following of two million followers and a million dollar business it's because you just started being willing to help one person
0: christy's amazing truly truly that was so important so related to that, I wanted to share this piece of wisdom from two of my favorite people on TV, Jonathan and Drew Scott, or as you might know them, the Property Brothers. They talked about pivoting and changing careers. And I think this is something we could all take with us.
6: Passions can change. I mean, that's an important thing for people mm-hmm. to realize. What I was passionate about at 10 or 20 is not the same as what I'm passionate about now. You know, family is my biggest passion now. And to be able to, to grow a family and have my own kids one day is a really important thing but yeah, if you continue to learn off of any trips along the way, it's not a failure. It's just that growth cycle. I can't guarantee you anything in life, what's going to happen, but I can guarantee you this, no matter how hard you try and figure out where you're going to be in 20 years, maybe even in 10 years, you will not figure it out. It is right. literally impossible. So don't worry about it. You're going to change your mind. You're going to live life. You're going to meet somebody. You're going to you know have kids. You're going to have a career change, whatever it is, you cannot figure it out. So don't waste the energy stressing about mm-hmm. it. Go after your passions, but don't stress about it.
0: Here's another critical takeaway they shared in their episode. Listen closely because I think this is one just so important.
6: There's no one in the world who is going to go out of their way to make you a success except you. You, you right. have to put in that legwork. So nobody knows you exist unless they see you. So finding opportunities to put yourself out in front of people, take a bit of a risk at the end of the day, I mean, I have no problem failing because failure is one of the key components to success. Success, Every successful person will tell you that. And I think a a big thing that is uh, a problem is procrastination. Um, And part of that isn't always just being lazy. It's a fear of achieving. It's a fear of going after what you want, because what if you don't make it? What I've always tried to do, you know, at a young age, we both caught with ourselves. Anytime we were procrastinating, Um, I also, when I went to school, I studied kinesiology and I took psychology as well. And so it was really fascinating to understand what's going on in here, that everyone has some of these same issues that they do. So when you do something like you wash the dishes, or you put the dishes away, or you make your bed, there's a chemical release in your brain that gives you a satisfaction of accomplishment. But the problem is what a lot of people do is they do all these little things that don't actually move them towards what their Mm -hmm. ultimate goal is, that bigger goal, because it's so big to achieve, people get scared to go after it. So they do all these little things as a procrastination because it still gives them those endorphins and that feeling of success. What we've learned to do is catch ourselves when we're doing that, put the little things aside, and then break down the big thing into achievable chunks so that we know by the end of the week, I've actually done X, Y, and Z to move myself Towards my goal. True's appearing in your neighborhood with his self-help seminar. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. Right. Failing is part of success. Yes. Another piece of wisdom I want you to hear is from the delightful. Just what a joy he is. Grammy award-winning singer songwriter, Jason Mraz. He has such a big heart and everything he says is just like poetry. I loved what he shared about enjoying the highs and lows of our journey enjoying the messiness of creating and considering how much success he's had, I think it's safe to say he's probably onto something.
7: I guess I encourage people who are nervous and don't have the confidence to forget everyone else and just be your biggest fan and go in deep. Enjoy the romance of discovering it, of discovering yourself. Enjoy the romance of the challenges and the struggles and knowing that you're adding your pain and tears and hours and sweat and word to the pantheon of poets and writers that have come before you. But I I do believe that this can be applied to anyone pursuing a dream is you just got to reward yourself by forgetting what you think the world thinks because yeah. you'll never know that. That's an impossible task. Yeah. And, you know, enjoy the ride, enjoy the journey, enjoy the pain, enjoy, enjoy seeing your cluttered desk or your cluttered kitchen yeah. that is only the result <laughs> of making something great out of nothing, you know. Yeah. Um, I was just doing a project. Like I love having a clean desk because it sort of sets me up for my next thing. Mm-hmm. but I was just doing a project the other day when I, I walked into my office and it was just destroyed. Like, because I kept running in to grab this or grab that and blah, 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 I grab this. I need this instrument and I need this cable and I got to open this and fix this. And it, the room was just in disarray. And I took a moment to appreciate it because I was like, Oh yeah, this only happens when I'm making something really big. Yep. And it was, it was just really a, fulfilling moment and then last night I had this fulfilling moment of cleaning it up you know <laughs> just like I'm gonna tidy this up and I'm gonna get it ready and when I came back yeah. in today we're having this conversation I'm I'm really pleased and like now I'm ready for my next one so yeah. there's all these little beautiful things that come with living your dream that you don't expect um, yeah. all the preparation the cleaning of your tools you know yeah. like washing your dishes and there's all these beautiful steps in it that keep unfolding the, the deeper you dive into your dream. You're, yeah. you're not going to be bored and you're not going to be broke. Your dream is going to give you so much, <laughs> it's gonna give you so many tasks and it's going to give you so much return that it's so worth trying. Ah, uh,
0: what a sweet, sweet soul. Okay. Before we keep going, let's just thank our sponsor. Organifi is a line of organic superfood blends that offer plant-based nutrition that tastes great. I love how quick and simple it is. It comes as dried superfood powder and all you have to do is mix it with water. No shopping, chopping, juicing, or blending is needed. And in less than 30 seconds, you can have a yummy nutritious drink that contains the highest quality plant-based ingredients and contains less than three grams of sugar per serving. It's also really affordable. It costs less than $3 per day and there's no extra shopping required or any mess to clean up. Each Organifi product offers a different set of health benefits like healthy weight management with green juice, helping increase energy with red juice, or calming support so you can fall asleep with ease with gold tea, which is one of my favorites. I'm always trying to make sure that I get a good night's sleep. I have three little kids and it's not always easy to sleep through the night, but this has been really helpful. If you want to see the detailed ingredients and benefits of every product, you can check that out on their website. To get 15% off any product, go to Organifi.com slash DreamJob and use promo code DreamJob. That's 15% off any product at O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com slash dream job with promo code dream job another awesome guest we had on the show this year is Guy Raz he is the host of how I built this on NPR he was also the host of the TED Radio Hour and now he's a best-selling author he's interviewed some of the world's most influential leaders like Richard Branson Mark Cuban Taylor Swift Bill Gates and so many others in our conversation I asked him what he thinks all these successful people have in common and here's what he said
8: the only difference between an entrepreneur and you uh, not you, but anyone listening or watching is they went into the phone booth and put on the Cape. Right. So the idea is that we're all Clark Kent's, you know, like that's our avatar and entrepreneurs just make a decision to act on their idea. Um, they're not superheroes. They don't have any mm. incredible skills or gifts that you don't have or can't develop. I mean, of course there are, you know, you've got your your sort of geniuses like Toby Lutke who founded Shopify and literally coded it himself, but he's really an exception. I mean, most of the entrepreneurs I've interviewed, they develop the skills that it takes to be successful. I mean, you know, everyone knows that you've got to be resilient and you've got to be optimistic and you've got to have an unshakable belief in your product and you've got to be persistent, but there are skills that you actually can develop to become an entrepreneur. And the the key skill that everybody Who wants to do this needs to develop is the ability to withstand rejection, the ability to hear the answer no again and again and again, (laughs) and to keep pushing until you get to a yes. It's very hard. Most of us like validation, and rejection is the opposite of validation. Most of us don't like to hear people say that's a dumb idea or that will never work. But you know what? Joe Gebbia of Airbnb and Brian Chesky, the the co-founders of Airbnb, They went to 20 venture capitalists in 2008 and they said, we want to start this company where people stay on other people's couches in their homes. And the response from 20 venture capitalists in 2008 was that's a dumb idea. Who's going to stay in a stranger's home. (laughs) By the way, in 2008, you could have purchased 10% of Airbnb for $150,000. All 20 of the venture capitalists said, no, they weren't interested. So, you know, it takes a lot of persistence but to get there, you've got to learn how to deal with rejection. And a lot of the entrepreneurs that have been on the show, and that I talk about in the book too, you know, they started out in sales, door-to-door sales. And they would have doors slammed in their faces like Sarah Blakely of Spanx or Tope Awatana who started Calendly. He sold you know, ADT alarm systems door-to-door. And when you hear a lot of no's, you understand that eventually there's a hit rate. You will get to yeses. You will get people Mm -hmm. to invest in your business. You will get people to believe in your idea. And that is the one quality that they all have in common. And most of them learned how to grow that second layer of skin, that thick skin that is the armor that shields them from hearing no, 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 no all the time.
0: Isn't that something? It's just so important to remember that. All right, now let's hear from someone else who's also been on Guy Raz's podcast. Um, I'm talking about Allie Webb. She is the founder of Drybar, and she recently started another company called Squeeze. She hosts the podcast Raising the Bar. It's incredible to see how Drybar has become a multi-million dollar brand, but I love hearing the origin story because it's such a great reminder that even the most successful businesses had to start small.
9: I think the best way to think about it is like it's literally one step at a time. Yeah. Um, one phone call at a time, one conversation at a time, and you know, in in my case, I mean, the the evolution of Drybar was like the, <laughs> the very first conversation I ever had about it was when my very best friend Paige Appel, who's also a very successful entrepreneur here in L.A., her and I had met <laughs> at a breastfeeding support group when our babies were <laughs> babies who are now 15, and and you know, we became best friends and both very uh, you know driven and ambitious and just you know, we were we were sitting in my living room in my Santa Monica two bedroom condo with our babies like literally crawling around on the floor and we had actually Paige and I had actually started a party planning business because she was really great at party at planning like events mm-hmm. and she just had such a beautiful aesthetic and I was like, Oh, I can help you do that and I can be like the people person yeah. and that didn't work with us and I didn't really love it and so it was you know not good. But during that conversation, I was like, you know, I feel like, also, side note, Paige is really, really curly frizzy hair, and so she'd always ask me to blow out her hair. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, I feel like maybe I should start a mobile blowout business where I basically just go to these mom's houses while their babies are sleeping potentially and blow out their hair and, and not charge a lot of money for it. <laughs> and, and she was like, yeah, that's a great idea. I bet so many women would love that. And so, and we, 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 <laughs> I think we figured out it would be $40 because it was like two twenties. That's really easy. I mean, there was not a business <laughs> plan. There was not a lot of thought that was it. So I put this thing on a, a Yahoo group and it was like, Hey, I'm a stay at home mom. And I'm thinking about, starting a business, um, doing just blowouts, would anybody be interested? And I got an overwhelming response and Cameron, my ex-husband, was um made me this one page website that was like, you know, straight at home, super cute. And it was like really my first marketing lesson. He said, you know, if you make a really cute website, people will call you. And I was like, really? And sure enough they did. And I, I basically started running around town drying, you know, my mommy friends. And you know, that's how that business started and really was thriving. And that's when I realized, like, I need to do this on a bigger scale. And instead of me going to women, they should start coming to me. So (laughs) it was at that point that that I was like, oh, maybe I'd turn this into an actual business because I wasn't really making any money. I mean, between gas and, you know, driving. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't like a profitable business, but what it did, and again, back to not being led by money, because for me, it was just more about, you know, getting out of the house, doing something for yeah. that felt good for myself. Yeah. And I, and I remember very distinctly when I was operating that business, I felt like very fulfilled and I was just happy to get a few hours by myself away from my kids to totally. do something that oh, I enjoyed yes. doing and to t- talk to other women. Cause I was like, yeah. also like, I mean, I don't know if you have kids, but have m- kids. you know my yeah. poor husband would, Yes, yeah, so you get it. My husband would come home from work and I would be like, blah, 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 And like talking his face off because I was talking, was hanging out t- like babies all day, you know. And, yes. and so this, <laughs> this business became like just exactly what I needed at that moment. And I felt really like, this is great. I'm really busy. And, and because I got so busy and I ended up having to say no more than yes to to my my little business because I could only really do like two or three clients a day because I had to run around and then yeah. I'd get my kids. You know, that's when I realized like maybe we should look at this as a business.
0: That's just amazing, right? Like she, here she was, like she started with some friends, you know, like can I blow dry your hair? I'll come over and look where it's grown. Our next clip is from someone who has really influenced both Ali and myself, my mentor. The one and only Seth Godin, he came back twice this year, which was just such a treat. Everything he said could be a clip that we could have chosen. But since we can't make this episode three hours long, I'm just going to share a couple of my favorite pieces. The first one is from his episode in January. It's something that I repeat all the time to my students. Take a listen.
10: The productive professionals I know show up and they chop wood and they carry water. And they don't have to chop a lot of wood and they don't have to carry a lot of water to get started. You just do this thing. So when people say I have writer's block, I say, well, can you type? Yes. Well then bring me your bad writing. Show me your bad writing. Mm. And they say, I don't have any bad writing. Well, that's why you have writer's block. That if you can come up with enough bad writing, some good writing is going to slip through and then you will have good writing, but no one has typing block. What you have is a self-censorship because you have fallen in love with the result, not the process. And my obsession, the thing I'm working on the most right now, is helping people see the difference between the result and the process. So let me ask you a question. When you started this magical podcast, how many listeners did you have? Zero. Exactly. Same as me. What a coincidence. In fact, every podcast starts with zero listeners. So if we had been focused on the result, we never would have made episode two because episode one was a failure. And yet you make another episode because it's not that we are successful podcasters. It's that we are podcasters. And if we are podcasters long enough, the odds of us being successful increase.
0: I mean, what you just said is, is, is everything. It really is everything. I love that. You know, show me your bad writing. And if you have enough bad, you know, the good stuff is going to slip in. It just is. When you started your blog, which, by the way, you guys, if you just type Seth into Google, that's him. That's how many people read this blog. And it's so good. How long did it take you till you had a critical mass of people reading your blog?
10: Well, I think it took 50 or 100 posts before I wrote a post that I thought was good. But I never tracked the number of people who were reading my blog. And I still don't know because. If I started tracking it, I would start doing things to make the number go up because I know how to make the number go up, right? Headlines like 10 surprising ways you can do blank really work. And it's funny, eight years ago, I wrote a parody post called how to get traffic to your blog. And I listed 50 (laughs) things, 40 of which contradicted each other, right? Like rule number seven, make a lot of lists. Rule number nine, never have a list. And I still get email about it. I'm still amazed years and years later, people thought I was being serious because that's what they're used to is people manipulating their mission to get (sighs) more attention instead of focusing on the mission. And then if attention comes, it comes.
0: So important. And here's another mic drop moment from Seth during our conversation in November. This one is about how to deal with your thoughts of I'm not good enough or I'm not perfect this is such a powerful lesson.
10: When you're swimming in the swim team, the coach has plenty to say about your flutter kick, plenty to say about how you're breathing, etc. Three months later, you got your summer job and a kid starts drowning four feet in front of you. Do you say, well, I'm not the most qualified lifeguard. Surely there's someone better than me to do this. No, because you are four feet away. You jump in the water. And when you jump in the water, and you go to save that kid. Did you do the perfect cross-body carry? Did you do the, the mouth-to-mouth in a way that was beyond reproach? Of course not. But the kid's okay. You saved the kid's life. And we should not spend our days worrying about our flutter kick when there's someone we can save. And if you're there for other people, not to hustle, not to figure out how to you know, make enough money that so you can retire, but there because you're actually going to help somebody get to where they're going That's a generous act. It's not about you, it's about them. And that seems to me to make it a lot easier to deal with the feelings of shame that arise. It's like, okay, fine, but that person's not dead. Okay, fine, but that person moved forward. So yeah, I've made countless mistakes, mostly errors of omission, things I should have done, things I should have said, things I should have led, but all I can do is try to help the next person.
0: Yes. Yes, you would go save that person anyway, wouldn't you? It's all so good. Okay, another phenomenal soul we had on the podcast this year is Malcolm Gladwell. He is a best-selling author and he hosts the Revisionist History podcast. We were talking about what makes something go viral and what it takes to reach a tipping point, and I thought his answer was really interesting. The first book I read of yours was, of course, The Tipping Point. And I remember being like, oh my God, this is so brilliant. So my audience is always asking that question. Like, what does it take for something to catch fire? How does my piece of content go viral? And you explain it so well. So on one foot, like, what is the tipping point? How do we get to that? And how can we walk toward it?
11: There are some things you can do. I mean, the book was a, meant to be a kind of partial guide to that process. But at the same time, we have to understand that this process is to some extent, completely out of our hands, mm-hmm. and lots of things, which is really an important point, because if you're the person whose thing hits, you have to appreciate that you were only partially responsible for yeah. that hit. Yeah. The world took over. I've been doing this project with a uh, singer, Paul Simon, and he has this lovely riff about how popularity in music is a river, and sometimes you're riding with the current, and sometimes you're not, mm-hmm. and it's nothing to do with you, like that some portion of your career you're in the thick of things and everything's a hit and you may continue to make beautiful, amazing music, but the river has flowed on without you. So I think that's the first thing. But the second thing, that book was a lot about the idea of social power, the kind of power that resides outside of hierarchies and money. And I feel like since I wrote that book, the world has kind of really embraced that notion, Mm -hmm. but that idea that there is power that comes from, economic status there's power that comes from political status there's power that comes from institutional status but that's not all there is also a whole other realm of things that comes out of relationships and the authenticity that people have in the world and the power of their friendships and the beauty of their ideas i mean look at how how black lives matter how now stands at the center of our conversation about policing. I have written endlessly about policing and police violence over the years. I take Black Lives Matter very seriously. I can't tell you who's running Black Lives Matter. I mean, I know the names of some of the people who are, but I don't have a, I can't tell you where they're based, how big their budget is, how, none of that matters. What matters is the idea that they represent is now at the center of our discourse. That to me is a beautiful example of what I was trying to get at in the tipping point.
0: A hundred percent. And I was going to talk about it with you later, but it is fascinating that talking to strangers came out before this moment. And I mean, you were there a year ago, like anyone who read that book, must've been like, oh, he, he was so on this topic. And then again, it just becomes like a tipping point. It's kind of amazing what happened with George Floyd, how that like broke everything open. Mm-hmm. So what makes that happen? Was it like, why that and not talking to strangers? Or was it a buildup of all of mm-hmm. those things in the continuum?
11: I think there was a buildup. I think that that string of cases, high profile cases that happened beginning with Michael Brown and Ferguson yeah. set the stage and pushed us a lot closer to the point where we were gonna take this I don't think George Floyd has the impact if it does. If we hadn't have had yeah the lead up those ten cases in two thousand and fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, and I also think that you know we didn't have a lot of distractions, right? We weren't at work, we That's were at interesting. home, we were online, we had a chance. Mm. It's usually so easy for us to dismiss even the most pressing things because we got to go to work at nine o'clock in the morning, or we That's got a so interesting. I never you know, thought that. I think that extended period okay. of, of lockdown that we're in allowed us to focus.
0: Wow. So as we start getting to our last few clips, I want to share some of the most important reminders that I hope we carry with us into the next year. My friend Patrice Washington is just one of the most remarkable human beings. She hosts the Redefining Wealth podcast. She came on the show and gave one of the most powerful episodes. I love what she said about redefining wealth and what it really means to have a rich life.
12: As I was starting in the looking at the difference between knowledge and wisdom, the other thing that I did was research what wealth was. And wealth was not material money. And wealth was not money and material possessions alone. Wealth was the condition of well-being. So while I felt it acceptable to talk about budgeting or credit reports or these things that I knew because it's what helped me build my business, it's how I educated my clients in the first place in the real estate and mortgage business, I didn't feel comfortable talking about all the other things that I was really doing behind the scenes because I thought if you want to be a personal finance expert, you need to stick to the hardcore money topics. But the more that I did that, I found myself doing a disservice to the very people I wanted to serve because people heard they should save 10% of everything that comes in. They heard they should budget. They know that there's three credit bureaus. They know these things. They know everything their big mama told them, right, about money, which that's all most of us really need to know, like, on a very basic level. But what they didn't understand was the fact that they were so consumed with chasing what they thought was the end goal with the money that they were leaving all these other parts of themselves just open um, and cluttered and unfulfilled and not tapped into. So it was having a negative impact on their money. So while you can read personal finance book after book after book, there's a reason that your behavior is not matching up. And what I got to was stop lying. You're lying. You're lying. You're telling a half truth. If you're not going to tell people everything that you know to be true about wealth. If you're only going to keep talking about money, that's one aspect, that's one pillar, that's one skill set. What about their faith? What about the fulfillment they have with their work? What about their relationships? What about their environment? What about how that what they think of themselves? If you don't stop having these very surface level conversations, you're never going to be able to support people the way that you want to. So it was only just a couple of years ago that I was like No, I got to allow myself to get out of the personal finance box and have all of the conversations that I want to have. I always tell people, if you have a vision for your life, it's your duty and responsibility to protect the only vessel you get to execute that vision. We don't get multiple bodies in this life. You get one physical body, right? And we have been groomed and we have been misinformed for so long that if we hustle and grind, like that is the way, right? We don't really hear enough about ease and flow. We hear hustle and grind. And so we see people on social media who are glorifying things like I have not slept in days. And it's this whole thing about sleeping two and three hours a night. Here's the deal. You look (laughs) nuts if you are sleeping two and three hours a night. There is no way for you to have the physical capacity to receive anything that you say you're praying for. You can pray all you want. And I've been there where I was like, God, enlarge my territory. I want to see the whole world. I was already on a national tour, right? But I was like, I want to go international. And I remember when I was in the emergency, emergency room again, this is years later, I was there for food poisoning, but they did some tests and they came in and said, you realize you have like way more problems with food poisoning. I'm like, oh, is that so? Your iron levels are really low. You're extremely anemic. Your hemoglobin levels are so low. Like literally if you were older, we would be giving you a blood transfusion right now. But we're going to oh trust you. Gosh. We're going to trust you to get to a hematologist, right? I have been ignoring the signs. I have been ignoring the symptoms. I didn't know shortness of breath was a problem, right? Extreme fatigue, constant exhaustion. But I was like, well, I wore those things as a badge of honor. I wore exhaustion as a badge of honor because I was hustling and grinding, and I was building my empire. So I thought it was okay to be exhausted. And especially as a mother and a wife, if my husband or my daughter had ever said they had those symptoms, I would have never let them go that long. But many of us, especially women, we will suffer in silence. And we will go along with the symptoms. We'll diagnose ourselves on WebMD. And we think that we can fix it and keep going. But if I have such a big call on my life, if I have people to serve, I do myself and my audience and everyone that I was called to help a disservice when I don't take care of myself. That comes first. That comes beyond even knowing what you're passionate about and all the things about purpose and everything else. You have to take care of you. All right.
0: Now we're gonna go back to something that Jason Moraz shared on the podcast. He had just released his album, Look for the Good. And we talked about how can we do that when everything in our world and in our lives is just seeming way too overwhelming.
7: Look for the good, you know, like we could say we're all gonna die. That's not really looking for the good. No. <laughs> Instead we can say, Hey, let's take a deep breath together. You feel that? life. That's life. You just breathe life in. What can I do with these next breaths? We're only given a limited number of these breaths. So we got to catch as many as we can. And music is such a great medium to catch breaths. Because if we sing along with music, then we're breathing consciously with that music. We're breathing a lyric and a thought and a belief and an action. And maybe even it changes our attitude. You know, it's We're back to that whole life experience thing. Music is such a potent thing. So, you know, I'm writing this Look for the Good album to try to hopefully influence our breathing and influence our actions and our attitudes. And I should also just backtrack for a second and say, I still am never going to know who's going to listen to this and who is going to really breathe consciously and have their life changed by the music. I don't know. I have to maybe assume... 100 people max. I don't think that many people. (laughs) It's not up to me to decide. It's really not up to me to decide. But what I'm getting out of the process, and I think this is what your podcast is about, is because I write this album, then I've taken care of all of these months of my life living my dream, taking care of myself, living my dream. I don't know what the future holds, really. But for me, the future holds writing another batch of songs, writing to be comfortable in a very volatile life mm. because the surface of the earth is dangerous. Humanity can be dangerous. But as long as I'm working on my dream, I don't get overwhelmed by those things.
13: Yep.
7: And I can breathe life into something that's positive and, and loving and kind. And so I'm not trying to be naive in my work and say, nothing's wrong. I'm trying to say something is still okay. We're still okay, you know, despite the fact that there's a lot that's scary out there. Yeah. This is a really challenging topic to talk about. I like it, but because I write about this, this is what gives me comfort in my life. Yeah. You know, throughout my career, I I feel like occasionally I would be criticized for just trying to write these sunny songs and as if nothing in the world is wrong. But I, I know a lot about the world is is suffering in life. There will always be suffering. Yeah. But if I sit down and work on my dream, if I sit down and work on my craft, then I can take care of the suffering in my heart. Yeah. And then if I do that and it works for me and I have a transformation and I feel somewhat healed by it and the words are powerful, then I have to think, okay, Maybe somebody else will get a similar transformation and or encouragement from this work. Yeah. So I'm going to put this work out there and just see what happens.
0: So to come around full circle, we're going to revisit a clip from Matthew McConaughey's episode and what it means to leave a
2: legacy and what's ahead for us in 2021. I think we should challenge ourselves right now to look in the mirror and say, I'm going to be a little bit better. And if I try to be a little bit better, and you try to be a little bit better, and other listeners try to be a little bit better, then all of a sudden we do start making collective change to move forward. And I would ask, what you value, and that list will change. It changes through a life. What I valued at twenty, I value something differently now at fifty. Probably, have my values will have another sort of order when I'm sixty. But keep asking ourselves that, and say, what's the stuff that's really going to last? How can we live today in a way that we'll look forward to looking back? Life's our resume. That's writing the story that will be our eulogy. And that story, the life we live right now, will introduce us forever when we're gone. And this year, hey, we have an opportunity to turn this year, 2020, into a green light. I don't know when that's going to be. But we have an opportunity to pull the assets out of this time and reveal the assets of this time. In this time of a new beginning, this time of our own purge as a people, um, as tragic as the year has been for some. And as awkward of a year as it's been for almost everybody, there are green lights to pull out of this year. And I don't know what they are, but I think we all know they're there.
0: And one more piece I want to leave you with is from Seth Godin again. I asked him what fuels him to keep putting out more work. I mean, the guy has already written like 20 best-selling books and he has programs and a world famous blog. And what he said left me in tears. I hope you know that what he says is exactly how I feel about you take a listen. I want to ask you this last question because I'm just curious. For you, you've done so much and you still have so much life left to live, but you've done so much already. And I don't think the money is the motivation for you at this point. What is the motivation for you? You've said so much, you've contributed so much. So what continues to make you still continue to march on?
10: you're not going to believe me. If I tell you it's you, it's you and people like you, Kathy. It's watching people who have so much talent and skill and passion and care get to a new level. And that's what I hold myself to and what I'm hooked on and what I'm trying to accomplish.
0: Yeah. That completely left me in tears. It is such an honor to do this show and to have gotten to meet all of you and all of these incredible guests. Here are the takeaways from today's episode. Number one, find a way. If it doesn't exist, create it. Anything is possible. There are no barriers. Number two, you are 100% responsible for your life. With great responsibility comes great power. Number three, no one will go out of their way to make you a success. It's on you. Find the opportunities to put yourself out there and take a risk. Number four, enjoy the romance of discovering yourself, the challenges and the struggles. Enjoy the ride. Number five, the impressive things in life start as unimpressive things. Take one little step, post one blog, get one customer. It validates your business, gets income flowing, and does a world of difference for your confidence. Number six, when you hear a lot of no's, you'll eventually get a yes. There's a hit rate, so keep pushing until you get to that yes. Number seven, it's one step, one phone call, one conversation at a time. Number eight, don't spend your days worrying about your flutter kick when there's someone you can save. Number nine, wealth is not about material possessions and money alone. Wealth is a condition of well-being. Number 10, look for the good. And number 11, we have an opportunity to turn 2020 into a green light. This is a time of new beginnings. Oh my gosh. I know that there's so much going on with the holidays, so I really can't thank you enough for being here and for listening Part two is coming out on Thursday. We're going to share some amazing moments from guests like Rob Lowe, Martha Beck, so many more. So if you want to make sure you get on that episode, subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts wherever you listen. And if you love this episode or any other episode, then please leave us a review. I would really appreciate that so much because I read them and it just, it's such a gift. In fact, go ahead and leave a review because I'm going to be doing a giveaway of some really cool stuff. You'll hear more details about it later. But in order to be eligible, you need to leave a review and subscribe to the podcast. So get that in. And before we go, did you find this episode valuable? Can you think of one person who would be inspired by it? If so, if the answer is yes, then please share it. Email the episode, text them the link, or post about it on Instagram and tag me at kathy.heller. I'd love to hear your favorite takeaway. I'd love it if you posted about this and tagged me and tagged one of the people who was actually featured in this episode because they get a kick out of that. You have no idea what that means to them, and whether it's Matthew McConaughey or Precious Washington or Chase Mraz – Some of these people, you never know if they're going to repost what you share. So tag me, tag them. Let us know if something in this episode resonated with you. I love you so much. I'll leave you with a song of mine and I'll talk to you on Thursday. The podcast is a production of Authentic. For more info on advertising in this show, visit AuthenticShows.com. I don't mind the cold
13: Cause I got you two hold, And now I like the snow I take you